Time for a Thursday edition of Locked On NBA. David Locke, along with Ben Golliver, as the wildness continues. Ben Golliver, national columnist, Washington Post, and author of Bubble Ball. It's out. It's real. It's there. It's in stores. You grew up in Portland, and your book is in Powell's Bookstore. Holy well, uh, it's great to speak with you, Locke. I really appreciated the tweet you put out. I think you said something like, this must be an amazing feeling yesterday. And it, it was, man. It's been a crazy 36 hours or so. And I just appreciate, you know, all the push that you've given me and all the Locked On um, team hosts have had me on their shows at various points. It's been amazing. And kind of like a dream come true. Honestly, it feels like the end of, uh, you know, a year-long journey, frankly, when you're going back to, like, the time of the shutdown last March and you and I going through all those conversations about, are they going to be able to bring this back? Is it going to work? I mean, there's just so many uh, moments like trips down memory lane. So it's been uh, it's been very gratifying. And, and any of the listeners that have bought the book, I really appreciate it. Trust me. I mean, it's it's really special if you've done that. I really, really appreciate it. Did you put our on-air fight in the book? Um, no, I didn't, but that was an awesome highlight. I gave you an acknowledgement, so clearly I got over the fight. But I, I think, um, you know, it was – that was a highlight. I think both of us just missed basketball a little bit too much at that point, didn't we? It was a good one. It made for good conversation. So, um, and I think we were all dying to get back to work at some point. Uh, and I think, oh, for sure. and I think the the thing that's interesting to me sitting here today, and obviously you and I are basketball junkies, but through it all, and this is like kind of the like if you were to add a chapter to your book. Like, in some ways, I feel like this is one of the great seasons of all time. I know there's been all this talk about injuries and this and that, but, like, on the other end, there is not a definitive champion. Like, for all the years of the Warriors and the Cavaliers when everybody was, like, complaining, I have no, I don't know who's winning the title this year. I don't know who's playing in the finals this year. I can make an argument for as many as eight teams to play in the finals this year. The MVP is not who we thought it would be at the end of the year. And, frankly, there are about like 12 to 14 guys that are just playing out of this world. And they're all kind of, I, I just, you know, and then you've got these other stories like Julius Randle. Julius Randle is an incredible story of what's going on there. And frankly, Chris Paul's revival in Phoenix. Like the, these, there's just so many amazing stories as we head down in the final week of the season. And then you get to the fact that at least in the Western Conference, the playoff positions, we're changing eight of the 10 playoff positions nightly. Yeah, and good luck trying to predict where they're going to land or, like, who's going to go where because a lot of these teams are going to play head-to-head over the next 10 days, and that's going to be what ends up deciding it, right? Uh, You make a really interesting counter-argument. I haven't heard that argument made a lot, but I agree with a lot of what you said, starting with how wide open it is. Typically, we're talking about three or four teams that really have a shot in a given year. This year, it's seven or eight, I would say. You know, And and I don't normally say that. Usually, I default to talent, but – we've reached the point of the season where we can't just say, well, if the Lakers get healthy or if the Nets get healthy, they're out of time. You know, they need to be healthy now so they can ramp up before the playoffs. And neither one of those teams is in that spot. If those are sort of your preseason favorites based on their top end talent, you no longer can just assume that they're going to be able to get there. So I'm with you on that part. Um, I'm also with you on the unpredictability of Jokic's MVP. I mean, you mentioned Randall. Randall got a nice taste of that tonight. I mean, Jokic has been dishing it out to basically everybody besides the Lakers for the last couple of months, and he did it again on uh, Wednesday night. And then um, in terms of the Western Conference play-in race and and that chase, I'm sure you saw LeBron's comments over the weekend about how the NBA's play-in guys should be fired. I wrote my story today. I tracked down the play-in guy, Locke, and I basically asked him, you know, should you be fired or how's this going? 
And he made the same argument that you made, which is, what are you talking about? We've got just, you know, really tight races up and down the standings in both conferences right now, adding a lot of excitement to the end of this regular season. This is exactly what we hoped for, and it's been playing out better than we could have hoped. You know who should get fired? Is the person if, if, <laughs> if they don't bring back the plan. If, oh yeah. If they don't well, bring back, you know, if, if they decide to not bring back in the plan because someone acquiesces to the silliness of Mark Cuban and LeBron, that person should get fired. Because this is awesome. Truly, like well, my understanding. Yeah. I mean, even San Antonio, who's looked just dreadful back to back nights in the building where I'm doing this interview from, like all of a sudden, like they, they, like New Orleans, who has a brutal schedule, so I don't think they can do anything about it, is like, oh, like maybe we can get in. Washington is. Like a heck of a story. They're an elite defensive team. Nobody's talking about it. Bradley Beal and, and Russell Westbrook in a one-game playoff, I want no part of that. Yeah, no, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I, you know, I'm, I'm hearing that it's looking pretty good for next year because television ratings from March to April were up 25% on the national games, and a lot of that was Steph Curry excitement, right, because the Warriors are in a play-in uh, play team. If they weren't and they had chosen to punt the season – Imagine what those TV ratings look like, right? They're completely different. The NBA needs fan engagement, and they need, you know, breakthrough television moments. And let me ask you this question. It's shaping up. It could be Lakers-Warriors in the play-in for like 7-8 or 7-9, however that shakes out. How many people do you think watch that game? Like 7-8 million, right? I mean, I mean you're going to get a really good number for that game. That might be the highest-rated game we had had since – Either a LeBron Warriors finals or a Jazz Jordan finals. Yeah. Like, if we had a yeah, single no. playing game of Steph versus LeBron, <laughs> uh, I mean, like, it, 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 I mean, it's the nightmare scenario, right? Because it means that guaranteed one of them. But actually, if it's 7 8, it's even better because then one of them wins and advances, and the next night the other one plays in a. Eight versus the winner of nine ten two nights later, which probably gets just as good a ratings because everybody's invested from the night before. It's fabulous. Let me go to the Eastern Conference for a second um, because we both said five eight teams. So I'm assuming we're both taking three from the East and five from the West that we think have legitimate chances. That are you? Are we? Are we correct? Right. Yep. So I'm not sure. They didn't play. They, they won. Philadelphia won tonight. One thirty five. One fifteen over Houston. Who cares? Right. Like Houston's terrible. Um, has the fact that the 76ers have like almost got a, begun to get a stranglehold on the number one seed by winning six straight, is that story getting enough play right now? No, it definitely matters for sure. It's going to make for a much easier path. I, I, you know, I was talking about that quite a bit when Brooklyn had that seed a couple of weeks ago, but now it's flipped around and it is a big advantage for Philly. You know, you've seen Brooklyn and Milwaukee play two really good competitive games here recently. Milwaukee wins them and looks, you know, pretty confident in doing so. I do think Brooklyn's going to be a much tougher matchup once they have Harden against the Bucks, but that's going to be a long series no matter what. And you also factor in who Philly might be able to play in the first round. Massive advantage. You should be able to keep uh, Joel Embiid rested and healthy, you would think. And you should also, uh, you know, just in general, be in better shape from a uh, availability standpoint for your guys. The Nets haven't been able to stay healthy all season long. The idea that they could have a pretty tough first-round matchup and then go through Milwaukee, what do they look like roster-wise by the Eastern Conference Finals? To me, that's a completely fair question at this point because they've only had their stars together for, what, six or seven games? Yeah, I mean, I, I think if – I might just take the one seed. Regardless of who it is in the East, I think I'm taking the one seed to win the East. 
I, that's fair. I mean, you know, honestly, it's a cop-out, but yeah, that's fair. I'm with you. <laughs> well, it, it's not a cop-out. It's just a statement that if you're playing Washington, mm-hmm. Charlotte, or Indiana in the first round instead of Boston or Miami, and you're playing New York or Atlanta in the second round instead of Milwaukee or Brooklyn, it seems really dramatically different to me. No, I hear you. Look, if I, to be honest, if I was ranking them in a vacuum, not taking into account seedings, I would have Brooklyn 1, Milwaukee 2, Philly 3. The seedings thing does kind of change their probabilities or their odds, I'm sure, by Vegas. And if Philly finishes with the one, I'm sure that's going to alter things. I still like Brooklyn as a matchup nightmare for those other two as well. Uh, but I also probably have more faith in Harden than just about anybody at this point, And I'm going to probably go down with that ship, and I'm going to be okay with it. I think if you can get Brooklyn with their three stars against Philly in the Eastern Conference Finals, even if they've had to go through a long series against uh, Milwaukee, I trust that talent matchup. I don't really trust Simmons. I don't trust Tobias Harris in a playoff series. And so even if those guys are well-rested and they've got that, that schedule advantage, I'm still going to probably favor Brooklyn in that series. But um, your point is very well taken. And again, like, you know, they're probably not going to have the third best odds out of the Eastern Conference teams if they finish with the one seed, because I think all the computer programs are going to give them a, a big bonus and the, and the betting uh, odds makers are going to give them a big bonus for winning that, that top seed. I ju- I, I'm mathematically, I run my numbers. I've got my points gained offensive system, like Brooklyn's unstoppable. And it's not just those three. It's Joe Harris along with it, right? They've got four, like the 12 most positively impactful offensive players. It's, it's, I think with two of them, they probably win it. The only thing I would say is I just feel like they're playing a little injury Russian roulette. And so yep. every single time they play a game, they're pulling the trigger. And if, they can pl- if they're the one seed and they're playing five games in the first round and five games in the second round, and then they only pull the trigger ten times, if they're the th- two or three seed, I think they're pulling the trigger 13 times before they get to the, Western Conference fi- the Eastern Conference Finals. And that's a big no, difference. I, totally fair. And they look, look, they look different when they don't have these stars out. And they look really a lot more stable when they had Harden than when they haven't had him. It's been noticeable to me. Um, I also thought they were trying to play some mind games with Giannis over the weekend when they were matched up with him. I don't know if you thought that as well in terms of, you know, daring him to shoot, but then also just sticking with him in single coverage, letting Blake Griffin, letting DeAndre Jordan just kind of get roasted by him. I wonder if they were trying to disguise their real defensive strategies. And by the time we get to the playoffs, perhaps they are going to be way more aggressive when he's trying to do post-ups or backing guys down, trying to force him to pass the ball a little bit, try to, you know, force guys like Pat Connaughton, who was awesome tonight in a win for Milwaukee, try to beat you, um, or a guy like Dante DiVincenzo, force those kinds of guys to beat you because you can't be giving up dunk after dunk after dunk and layup after layup after layup to Giannis and just let him get 49 efficient points. I mean, that's not uh, a recipe for success if you're the Nets. So that, that makes me wonder, were they just uh, trying to you know inflate his, uh, his own confidence a little bit and then show him some crazy stuff when they meet down the road? I would suggest what they did was not the answer. How's that? Right? I mean, did you feel sympathy for Blake Griffin? I mean, he's just getting blown by every direction. And, like, I know he's dunking more and people are excited about his kind of turnaround and everything. But, boy, Giannis was just taking it to him so easily in that matchup. The first one, I have to say, this is my statement of where how great I think the NBA is right now. I watched that game two days after it happened. And it was great. Right. It was and you such, probably still loved it, right? It was such good entertainment that I knew I needed to go watch it. We had a game. I couldn't. I was busy the next day, and I actually watched it two days afterwards, like just to get it, just to just to take it in because it, it's that good. All right. Let's, uh, we'll continue through the night and the action. Uh, so if we believe there's eight different teams that can 
win it. I don't think we said it was all equal, but you can go to betonline.ag with the promo code locked on, get a 50% welcome bonus, and figure out for yourself which you think are the best lines. I'll tell you which ones Nuggets think. They are not thought of that seriously. Phoenix is not. Frankly, Brooklyn is the runaway favorite in the East, the odds makers. The Lakers are the runaway favorite in the West with the Clippers and the Jazz falling behind that. And then Phoenix and Denver, a distant follow on that. That's all at betonline.ag. Use the promo code Locked On to get a 50% welcome bonus. It's fast, it's simple, it's easy. It's our choice at Locked On. For all of your sports gaming needs, go grab it at betonline.ag. Have a little fun with it also. They do also have odds on Bill Gates' next girlfriend. Um, so if you want to take that as well, that's always a, a good deal of fun. Over at betonline.ag. Today's show is also brought to you by Headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations and an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the one and only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditations through clinically validated research. So whether it's the three-minute SOS meditation for you, I love the 10-minute early morning. I've used it to fall asleep, and I have to admit it's pretty great. Coming home from games, I've always kind of been a 90-minute to two-hour process for me to fall asleep. Now when I first come in, I go down, do my Headspace uh, sleep meditation and I'm usually asleep about 30 minutes later and actually the best part about it frankly is it means I don't have that last little extra ice cream but that's a personal issue for me go check it out at headspace.com slash locked on NBA that's headspace.com slash locked on NBA for one free month trial with access to headspace's free library of meditations for every situation Washington Post Ben Golliver along with us and uh, the author of Bubble Ball, which is out and available at Amazon or preferably your local bookstore. Support your local bookstores. We still love them. You mentioned it a few minutes ago. Denver goes to 10-2 and without Jamal Murray today. And Jokic 32-12-6 is just conducting. I mean, Aaron. it's not like Aaron Gordon did something fabulous today. Austin Rivers did with 25 against the Knicks, which must have made him very happy. Um do you like what is your feeling on Denver as a title contender still evaluating it what's what's your take on Denver right now no they need to be in the mix I think they're being undervalued in some of those odds look I'm not a gambler at all and I don't really know exactly how it works so I mean take it for the grain of salt but to me they're still one of the most dangerous teams in the Western Conference now obviously Anthony Davis and the Lakers front line is Jokic's kryptonite that's the worst possible matchup for them but if they can get on the other side of the bracket have somebody else take the Lakers out I mean, to me, they're almost like the number one team I would take out of the West. I mean, frankly, like Jokic uh, is a really tough cover for Phoenix, in my opinion. Uh, I think that he has dominated the Clippers at times this year. He's always looked like the best player, whether it's him, Kawhi, or Paul George. I've always taken Jokic in those matchups this season. And I just trust him more in late-game situations to get to the free-throw line and to get good shots than I do the Clippers stars at this point, as as good as they are. So um, I'm pretty high on them. I actually have a question for you. Obviously, Jokic is going to win MVP, and it's kind of being framed as like he's had the best season this year, and I think that's totally fair. Do we need to zoom back and take off one of those layers, though, and just say, like, this guy needs to be in the conversation for the best player in basketball, period? You know, I think for me, that conversation has been LeBron, KD, Kawhi, Giannis, Steph these last couple of years, and I'm just wondering, like, has Jokic passed some of those guys? Does he need to be potentially in the mix for, like, the top spot on my top 100 next year whenever I do that in the fall? Um, should we be giving him a look there? Because the offensive impact stuff is just outrageous. Defensively, look, there's definitely limitations there, no question, but he's not terrible. 
And I think he makes his teammates better than anybody in the league with the possible exception of LeBron. And LeBron's at what, you know, age 36 at this point with, with the bum ankle, right? So where do, you, where do you have Jokic in your pecking order of best players? It's really interesting. I was listening to Hollinger and Duncan uh, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, and they got into this, and John's got him as basically the best player in the league, and Nate had him as ninth. And I was like, what? Whoa, 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 whoa. So let's just talk about the offense for a minute. Like, Durant, Giannis, LeBron, no one else is impacting the game the way he is. Like, Durant's maybe as unstoppable just with his pure length and ability to shoot. Like, but build, like, I kind of feel like Jokic is unstoppable because whatever you do with him, He's got an answer, right? So if you're doubling him to make him yep. so you can't, then he's passing. The, I'm, I'm interested to see the Jazz aren't healthy without, they'll be without Donovan, without Mike Conley. The, the one thing that Rudy Gobert has done to Jokic over the years that no one talks about is he takes away Jokic's postgame. And the Jazz single-team Jokic in the postgame, so it takes away his passing post. Now, he played the two-man game with Jamal Murray, and then Gobert doesn't really want to leave Jokic to come out, and Murray went on fire from three, and the Jazz couldn't stop it, right? Like, that's what happened in that. And then Jokic was unbelievable in game seven of that series. Some of it kind of in this mid-range area, and Rudy you know, couldn't really stop it, but it wasn't his postgame. I'm curious, like, that's the one area where if you can reduce Jokic's game in some capacity so he can't do everything, then can you have an impact against him? But Rudy might be the only defensive player in the league that can do that, and AD, I think, might be the other kind of with the Lakers' length sure. takes that away. That So that would be, whereas Durant, there is really no way to reduce Durant's game at all, ever, and Harden, frankly. No, it's a great point. You know, the thing that Jokic has done this year is, like, gone to that mid-range shot more often. And, you know, he, he takes it off the goofy foot. Sometimes he just takes it as a turnaround. He's a really underrated – I mean, maybe not underrated anymore, but he's just a really incredible shooter. I don't think he gets enough credit for that. And, you know, it's such a soft-touch, high-arcing shot. It's really, really pretty to watch. And so, you know, when you're looking at the possible matchups of guys like Zubak or DeAndre Ayton, I mean, first of all, those guys probably aren't taking away his post game but they're definitely not taking away his mid-range game. And so that's why I really do think it comes down to AD and then potentially Gobert in terms of guys who are going to be able to stop him in that Western Conference bracket or at least limit him enough where, like, you know, Jamal Murray's absence is is more obviously felt. And if we go back to last year's first-round series, like, as good as uh, Jokic was, I mean, obviously Denver's not winning that series without um, Jamal Murray. and, And Michael Porter Jr. is going to be able to pick up some of that slack, but you know, it's still going to be tough for them. I just love how they're playing. I love their vibe. And I just think we can't say enough good things about Jokic right now. We need to hype this guy up as much as possible. He's about all the right things. He does it every single night. He's a winner. He elevates his teammates. You know, it's it's just been an incredible season for him. And I, I think uh, he's still probably slightly underrated in these kinds of conversations by many analysts. You know, uh, I actually, you and I held this conversation earlier this year on coaches um, I think we got to give Mike Malone some credit too, um, yeah. Because one thing I think, and we're seeing this with the Nate Bjorkman fiasco in Indiana, and I think Monty Williams' revival in Phoenix, we forget about the play hard factor, right? Like Nate McMillan just gets his teams to play hard. Maybe the X's and O's aren't beautiful. Maybe they're not elegant. You know what? He, they play hard every night, and Indiana so blatantly doesn't play hard anymore. And Atlanta plays harder now under Nate McMillan than they did under Lloyd Pierce. 
and they're healthier. Um, and I think the same thing with Monty Williams. Like, Monty Williams was, is frankly was a bad X's and O's coach, from my opinion, watching him in New Orleans. But they haven't won any more games since he left. And they don't play as hard. So, a for little sure. bit, a little and, bit to, going back, Go back to Malone for a second. I yeah. mean, they had some tough, tough start, start to the season in terms of, like, were guys going to even be on the court? So, he was pulling out all the stops. And he also is hard on his players, too, Locke. I mean, he goes after Michael Porter Jr. and some of these guys every once in a while to try to get on them. And they respond well. They don't tune him out. You know, they recommit. We've seen much better effort here late in the season from a player like Porter. And so I'm with you. I do think he gets undersold in, in the, the Denver success story as well. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, I just thought I wanted to point that out because I think Mike Malone probably deserves some credit on that. I want to go back to one Jokic note. It took me a second to pull this up, so this is a little incongruent. I apologize. But I think this is worth it. I I knew it in the top of my head just because of last year's playoffs, and I, and I had a chance to um, – I didn't have a chance to pull it up while we were talking. So this is – I think this is interesting. This tells you, I think, a little bit about Jokic's development. Against Rudy Gobert, solely just against Rudy Gobert, I think we should all agree, best defensive player in the world. If you don't believe that, you are not watching games. He is astronomical. Tonight, the Spurs at one point scored on like 7 of 32 possessions when he was on the floor. Like, it's oh crazy. Okay. In 17-18, when Rudy was there, he and Jokic only played one game against each other. Jokic was two of six and one of three from three. Okay, in the 18-19 season, when the two of them played each other, Jokic was nine of 30 shooting against Gobert and one of 10 from three. In the 19-20 regular season, so at this point, by the way, he's two of 12 from three in his career against Gobert. He goes 3 of 9 in the regular season against Gobert. He is now 5 of 21 in his career. He shot 49%, but he was 5 of 21 from 3. In the playoffs last year, against Rudy Gobert, Nikola Jokic was 21 of 41 from 3. 21 of 41. Stepping it out. I mean, the shot is pretty, and he's got range on it too. I mean, I I don't know if he's going to do that again in this year's postseason, but... Um, he's a sniper, man. I mean, that's an incredible evolution, right? He basically couldn't shoot the three over Gobert's length for three years, and last year in the playoffs figured it out. That's awesome. He's a monster, man. I, I, I can't say it enough. Like, I don't really know where the fly is. I mean, some of the slow motion clips that were going around after that Clippers game where he was, like, eyeing defenders kind of out of the, you know, side-eyeing them and then just whistling these backdoor passes right by their ears when they would look the wrong way. I mean, it's it's nuts. I, there are really not a lot of historical comps. I mean, people used to say Sabonis or Bill Walton in terms of a passing big man. I kind of feel like the conversation starts with Jokic now on that one. Maybe that's a little bit too reactionary. I'm not sure, but... I haven't seen a center pass better than him. Seven foot magic or seven foot Larry Bird? <laughs> That's interesting. I don't know. I mean, maybe I maybe he's just Jokic, man. Maybe it's just the Joker and he's his own archetype. I mean, maybe we have to start thinking about him in those terms where it's not about historical precedence. It's about, hey, this guy, after he committed to his body, could now just dominate games through four quarters and stay on the court constantly and uh, do it his own way. I mean, I think that maybe we're at that point. Tribute to one of the great writers that we ever had in the NBA, Lee Jenkins, who's now works with the Clippers and doesn't write anymore, which is a travesty to all his basketball fans. He had a great line about Anthony Davis. And in an SI feature, he said something about Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis was created after God got bored 
of creating Kevin Durant. <laughs> That's good. That's classic, Lee. Oh, I missed Lee. Uh, and, come, come back, Lee. And, come back like uh, Jordan during Space Jam. Right. We need to come back. And I wonder what Lee Jenkins would say about Nikola Jokic in that like concept, right? Like God went, well, all right, I maximized the six foot eleven lanky athlete. Let's see if I can create the seven foot one lumbering, you know, uh what's the guy's name in Beautiful Mind? Um you know, that's how I kind of envision Jokic, right? Like he's just his mind and vision is working at a speed better than everyone else. And oh by the way, I'm gonna give him a six foot one guard's touch. Yeah, a little goodwill hunting, too, maybe. Um, I think if you asked Lee about Jokic after that game against the Clippers over the weekend, you'd probably, get, you'd probably hear some profanities. What do you think? <laughs> Great point by Ben Golliver. You know what time it is? Rock, Rock Auto time. Yes, every Thursday. Brought to you by our friends at Rock Auto with reliably low prices as well as amazing selection and all the parts your car will ever need. It's Rock Auto. Rock Auto is a family business serving auto part customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com. Shop for auto body parts for hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything for an entire Control modules, brake pads, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpets. Whether it's your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks at Rock Auto. And Rock Auto is catalog is unique, easy to navigate, and most importantly, all the prices are the same, and they're always reliably low. Whether you're a do-it-yourselfer or a professional, it's Rock Auto. So why spend up to twice as much on auto parts? Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Right, locked on in the How Do You Hear About Us section. It's amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. It's rockauto.com. If you haven't caught Locked On today yet, please do. It's 20 minutes of the quick run-through of all things in the sports world, catching you up on all the things you need to do. Portland beats Cleveland tonight, 114-105. to Memphis beats Minnesota, 139-135. to Lots of scoring going on. Cleveland might have been tired from their game last night. Um, and, then, and so that sets the play-in standings still with the Lakers and... The Mavericks sitting there at 5-6 with Portland at 7. Golden State and Memphis are now tied to 8-9 with with San Antonio. Um, Portland's had a little bit of a revival here. Are you buying it, Ben? Well, I don't know if I'm buying them so much as I'm selling the Lakers here in the short term without LeBron, you know, or or without his ankle looking as good as we expected it to look uh, after the time off. I think there's a really good chance now the Lakers fall to seven in that play-in, and uh, that would obviously come at Portland's expense, or, or benefit, I should say, rather. And I think they have a, a heads-up game here coming not, not too long from now, if I'm not mistaken. So that's a brutal timing here for the Lakers as they're trying to get right. Um, so I think both Dallas and Portland here are kind of like unintended winners of the, uh, of the LeBron injury situation. So you think we're really going to get the Steph-LeBron playing game? Look, I wouldn't have brought it up earlier if I didn't think it was a pretty decent possibility. I mean, um, the Lakers have just been pretty messy. You know, if, if Shooter's out and LeBron's out or if LeBron's limited, who's making plays for them? You know, it's it's really tricky. And, you know, even during a lot of LeBron's absence, at least they could lean on Shooter. But the offense is already bad when he was the main guy. I mean, they were 30th in offense without LeBron. Um, I was expecting that he was going to come back, be the typical bionic LeBron, ankle holds up perfectly and they put together, you know, like a six and two closing push or something. 
and everything's kind of back to normal. Instead, it's gone the other way. And, and uh, there's a lot of Lakers fans here in L.A. freaking out. And I would say kind of rightfully so. I mean, if the ankle's not right, the Lakers are not right. It's as simple as that. Who's is, Did you watch the Clippers last night? I don't believe I saw the Clippers last night, no. I didn't. You know what? It's hard to tell this time of year. I didn't think. I, I've been kind of big Clippers all year. I didn't think they looked right. I mean, they won. They came through in the clutch, and they beat Toronto, who's limited. Um, who's your favorite in the West, then? Well, look, I, you know, this is tough because philosophically, I always want to defer to the teams that have kind of been there and earned it. And I still feel like that's the Lakers, but it's really waning for me right now, you know? And so that's where I get into this conversation. Well, if it's not the Lakers, to me, it's Utah or Denver and heads up. That's like a really, really tricky series to pick as we've talked about. And I think it could come down to the matchups in terms of who gets whom uh, in this bracket. And right now it's completely tossed up in the air about, you know, one through eight, we have no idea who's going to play uh, whom. So, I mean, part of me wants to default to Utah and, and just show respect to their overall body of work. You know, when I'm making my awards pick this year, I'm defaulting to Utah a lot because I really uh, prize and value consistent excellence. You look at the number of double-digit victories. You look at the point differential. You look at the consistency factor. You look at the, the two-way balance with both offense and defense. I'm going to be rewarding a lot of their guys. I mean, it's going to be Quinn Snyder for coach of the year. It's going to be Rudy for defensive player of the year. Um, you know, Rudy's going to be on the all NBA selection for me as well. And I'm going to have to think really long and hard about what I do with Donovan because those guard spots are, are really coveted this year. Um, but, you know, I think that they've earned the right to be in that mix, even though I know a lot of people are going to still doubt them and say, well, do they have the athletes to match up with the the big time forwards and all that? But, um, you know, I think if the Lakers are not in the mix, you've got to go to Utah first and then maybe Denver. So I have a hard time, obviously, as the Utah announcer, trying to unbiasedly analyze what they're doing. And I think I'm probably one of those who's overly critical rather than they retook the one seed today with a blowout of the Spurs. Like they just crushed the Spurs twice, like not close. They're up 41 tonight. And the Spurs need to win games. And the Jazz are playing without Mike Conley and without Donovan Mitchell. Like it. Like this, I thought this was crazy. The Jazz were up 20 in the third quarter tonight, and they have led by 20 in 42% of the games this year in the third quarter. That's what I mean about the point differential and the blowout victories. Like, if you look at the most, like, 10-plus uh, 10 point victories this season, it's like Utah and then a huge gap in everybody else in terms of total victories like that. And I tend to look at that because it just tells you, like, who's really dominant, who can put you away early, like, who can take care of you in a postseason series if they get hot. And that's been the Jazz all year. Now, the counter would be that was Milwaukee these last couple of years, right? And, and we saw similar things there. But I put a lot of faith in point differential still because I think it just gives you that idea of, um, you know, relative dominance and, and holding leads as well, which has been really key this year. We've seen all sorts of teams with these massive mood swings. You get up 20, blow it. Um, you know, Denver actually had that problem recently against Boston. And with Utah, I mean, they're they're cruising on a lot of these nights. I mean, the San Antonio games are a good example. At, at what point was that game over tonight, would you say? I mean, like officially over, dead in the water, over. Sometime early second quarter, if not end of first quarter. Right. <laughs> that, that's that's the sign of a really good team. That's kind of what I'm getting at there. I mean, I think they were up 20, 24 at halftime, and I made, like – our halftime host made a joke that said, like, oh, you never know a 20-point lead. I, like, got him on the line. I was like, teams that lead at 20 at halftime are, like, 250 and 10 this year. Like, this game's over. It's over. Like, there's no <laughs> – you don't lose 20-point leads in this league. All right, I have one last thing for you tonight, Ben Golliver. 
Bring it. If the national NBA media publishes a story about you and how you've lost control of your team, your assistant coaches are tired of you, and things are going awry, and you're a first-year head coach, don't lose to Sacramento at home the next day. That's a tough spot to be in, man. Um, I, I never really got why they moved on from Nate McMillan in the first place. Like, what did they expect from the injury ravage roster in the bubble? I mean, was it a financial decision? I guess, possibly. Um, but Nate over-delivered there, or at least met expectations, to my mind, every single year he was in Indiana. I didn't see any slippage there whatsoever. I still thought he was connecting with that group. And I guess they wanted to modernize. I don't, you know, and it's weird, too, because, you know, going back to the Portland days, Pritchard, Chad Buchanan, and Nate have always been on the same page. They've always seen eye to eye. So I was confused by the Bjorkren hire when it when it happened. I thought they came out of the gate great, and there was some real potential and promise there. But um, those were troubling reports, to say the least. And um, it's hard to come back from that, right? I mean, we kind of saw that with John Beeline. Once the talk, you know, starts to circle about like, oh, this guy is not really getting it done with key people in the organization, you know, the, the clock starts to tick there, doesn't it? It does. And the Marvin Bagley experience is raging at 31 points tonight, no assists, and has <laughs> will have all Kings fans wondering whether there actually might be something there or not and not be sure. Ben Golliver, it's always an immense pleasure. Thursday edition of Locked on NBA's in the books. Bubble Ball is available at Amazon.com, but we prefer if you go to your local bookstore. If you don't mind, support your local bookstores. But support Ben Golliver and his book. Get his Washington Post newsletter on Twitter at, at Ben Golliver. And... What else? That's about it. Friday, Nick Engstead and Adam Matas will have Locked on NBA for you tomorrow. Ben Golliver, you're the best. Have fun. I will talk to you soon. Talk to you, man. Take care. See ya.